It's Tyler, aka Turtle Boy. We're back with another episode of Skoden Cinema. Today on the show, we're going to be talking with Mr. Jeremy Charles. He is a local filmmaker here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, super, super duper nice guy. Wonderful filmmaker. Wonderful guy. I cannot brag enough about him. Um, he's the one that uh, directed. He wrote and directed Tochu, starring Natalie Standing Cloud. And if you haven't had the opportunity to check out the movie, uh, I implore you to head to the Instagram page right now and Skoden underscore cinema. You will find the link to the film in the bio. It's nine minutes long. You will thank me later, I promise. Uh, If you do not have an Instagram, you can head over to the Facebook page. There are two groups. I've got the the public group and then the private group. But the link is posted um, under both profiles. So do yourself a favor. Check it out. Um, I can wait if you need me to. And uh, join us back here uh, in nine minutes for the discussion with uh, Mr. Charles. You know, I've said many times before, um, but I really want to say it one more time. Uh, You know, I've been fortunate uh, and very blessed to have surrounded myself with, you know, such stunningly creative people throughout my entire life. I mean, uh, even as a kid, uh, I remember one of my first friends in elementary school, first grade, actually. uh, The dude's name was Jeff Tucker. Man, this Japan drew the most insane dinosaurs I had ever seen and I remember just staring in awe just watching him um, you know put together these perfect lines uh, to fashion these majestic beasts and all these years and beers later I I can still close my eyes and and picture them as if it was just yesterday you know and as I grew older um, you know your flavors and taste they they change a little bit but there was always some type of creative link or trait in each of my friends um, you know whether it was like the frantic guitar playing of Bo Sharon or, or Robert Tonica uh, to the writings of David Smith and Jimmy Romer to to the insanely hilarious bathroom graffiti of, of Steve Shell you know I've, I constantly found myself running in this pack of, of unique individuals and um, you know I always thought subconsciously that, that creative people are, are sort of drawn to one another Another. It's like we can sniff out our own kind. Um, but the task of meeting new friends, you know, was, was made um, so much easier when I ended up going to film school at the University of Oklahoma, 
way back in, in the year of 1996. Um, it's, it's there that I really met some of my nearest and dearest lifelong friends, um, even currently my, my friends. You know, we have artists and writers and poets and photographers and filmmakers and musicians and actors and dancers. And, and we all just seem to sort of run around in the same circles. And today uh, I'm so fortunate because, you know, I get to scroll through my Facebook feed or my Instagram page. And I get to find it filled with, with just these amazing works of art, you know, from, from tattoos by Rob Carter to, to paintings by Jamie Hearn to these amazingly awesome action figure prototypes from my buddy David Russell, uh, film essays and reviews uh, by Stephen McCoy, these incredible 3D designs from Dave Clements, uh, photography from Curtis Benali and Sean DeHekishan, stand-up comedy by my nephew uh, Cole Randall, uh, music from Mad Matt Fletcher and Dave McPherson, and podcasts by my wonderful new friends like uh, Ian Allison over at Native Film Talk, Kevin Nez over on the E-Society Network, Russell Sunneagle at uh, Okie Podcast, and Catherine Nagel uh, at This Land, and, and just so many others that I've probably forgotten about. Um, but the point is, uh, I, I, I name-dropped all of those people because, um, and honestly, uh, they are and continue to be a, a direct influence on me. And for that, I cannot thank them enough. Um, you know, when you run in these kinds of circles, though, um, not only are you like constantly influenced, um, but you also get challenged in, in many ways. Um, you know, one, to create the finest, most original product that you can possibly produce. And two, um, you, you try to come up with like these new and exciting ideas. Uh, Turner Walker, if you're listening, I'm talking to you. And three, uh, sometimes you get asked to kind of step outside your comfort zone and experience things that you may not be completely and totally comfortable with. And it is here um, where, we, where I found myself um, hearing the name of Jeremy Charles for the first time. Um, you see, Mr. Charles and myself, we were asked to be a part of the Native panel on the Sundance Committee for the Circle Cinema, which was hosting the satellite event last year. And I mentioned that um, back on the uh, Black Cloud episode. Uh, but, you know, due to circumstances beyond my control, um, sadly, I, I wasn't able to participate. And it, it was a tough decision. It really was. But it was one that, you know, ultimately had to be made. Um, but before I um, gracefully bowed out, uh, the director, Charles Foxen, he was looking for local native films and filmmakers um, to uh, showcase at the event. And um, I got it was at that point that I got treated to one of the most original short films that I have seen in my entire life. And that film was Tochu. Uh, Tochu. Uh, you know, for those who haven't seen it, it tells the story of this young native woman being pursued by an unknown predator um, through both this prehistory frontier and a uh, post-apocalyptic wasteland. Um, my mouth just dropped open um, within the first like two minutes of this movie. It is beautifully shot, uh, filmed, edited, acted. The sound design is perfect. The set pieces are perfect. The costumes are spot on. The art design, just the look of the film, I mean, it really hit every endorphin button that I had on my brain. Um, and I seriously must have watched that movie like six or eight times um, when Jeremy first sent it to the group. Um, but because it was playing at the festival circuits at the time, 
Um, he was sort of unable to release it to the public. I think it only had one screening at that time at the Circle um, prior to that. But uh, when I saw it, I-, I was ready that day to shout this film to the hills, y'all. I was telling everybody about it, um, but not knowing that it was not available to the public. So, um, you know, and, and plus not, not, you know, being not only a, a massive nerd and, and a fan of, you know, these post-apocalyptic films, um, you know, and I don't know about you, but I had never seen one that featured a native character. Um, that is until um, Tochu. So I don't know about you, but I am ready to start digging into this film. Um, I've been hyping it now for about the past three weeks or so. So, um, yeah, the tagline for the movie is uh, there's no tagline, but it's OK because honestly, it doesn't need one. But the movie stars Natalie Standing Cloud as the titular Tochu. She is um, Muskogee, uh, Cherokee, Colville, and Salish Kutenai. Um, what an incredible screen presence this young woman has. I mean, she she just exudes this amazing aura of like strength and intelligence and ferociousness and beauty and independence and indigenous that is hardly rivaled on screen today. Um, she earns her living, though, as an artist, an actor, and an ink junkie aficionado. And if you are curious as to checking out her tattoo work, uh, I, re- I recommend that you um, go to her gallery on the Ink Junkies Facebook page and the Instagram page. I mean, she has this like incredible, fluid, flowing, uh, organic, cultural style that um, you know just really stands out instantly in the hip world of the... Uh, bougie, trendy tattoos that you normally find on on people with ironic mustaches, you know, gathered around their craft beers on a weekday. But um, Standing Cloud um, has been acting since she was around uh, six years old. And her first appearance um, was in an independent film called Standing Cloud that was loosely written about her mother. Um, quote, it was written and directed by my aunt, Kimberly Norris Guerrero, who has been my mentor and inspiration, Standing Cloud told the Cherokee Phoenix in 2021. I love being able to tell or help tell native stories and history through film and theater. Uh, followers of the show, you might remember her auntie Norris Guerrero on the Jingle Dress episode. Um, she played Rick's wife, Janet. And if you haven't heard it, uh, I, I, I ask that you go back now. Uh, first, download the movie um, at jingledress.net and then listen to me break it down. And then when you're done, uh, make sure you leave a review because it really helps get the word out about the show and helps people find us. Um, but anyway, um, currently you can find Norris Guerrero in Longmire, Rutherford Falls, and the haircutting, phallic beaten, uh, uh, Willie Jack scaring Annie B on um, Reservation Dogs. Um, and Standing Cloud can also be seen on Reservation Dogs as well. Um, she's in the um, IHS hep- uh, episode where she plays like the, the real feisty optometrist receptionist who gives cheese the recommendation for the eye exam. Um, yeah, that's her. But if you want to know more about her, um, go check out uh, Oki Podcast. Uh, Russell Sunningle did an awesome interview with her. Um, it's like an hour long or so, and she will tell you everything she needs to know about how she got started in the business. So check it out, Oki Podcast, Natalie Standing Cloud. Uh, the next um, 
actress that we'll talk about, or actor, is Jennifer Loren um, as Rebel Girl, and she is Cherokee. Uh, Loren is an Emmy-winning, award-winning filmmaker um, and the director of the Cherokee National Film Office. Um, evolving from this investigative reporter and producer to a documentarian and host, she has been in the television and film industry since uh, 2001. Uh, Jennifer started her career in television news um, when she moved around the country as an anchor, producer, and investigative reporter, ultimately landing a home um, in Tulsa. Uh, in 2014, she joined the Cherokee Nation business where businesses where she uh, co-created the highly acclaimed documentary style show OCO, Voices of the Cherokee People. Uh, Jennifer is the executive producer, host, and showrunner of that docuseries, um, which is often just kind of shortened to OCO TV. Um, she also produces and directs many of the short documentaries in the show. Um, she's a proud citizen of the Cherokee Nation. Jennifer is humbled and thrilled to share her tribe's stories with the world. In 2019, um, Jennifer helped create and roll out the Cherokee Nation Film Office and now serves as its director. Um, a first-of-its-kind endeavor by a tribal nation, the, the mission of the Cherokee Nation Film Office is to increase the presence of Native Americans in every level of the film and television industries while also creating opportunities for economic development and jobs in the Cherokee Nation. Also in 2019, um, she was named a Woman of the Year Pinnacle Award winner um, by the Tulsa Mayor's Commission on the Status of Women and the Tulsa YWCA. So congratulations. Um, again, she is um, a wonderful, wonderful woman. And uh, go check her out on OCO TV. So there's no real need for me to, to break down the film for you because, um, you know, we're going to get into that with Jeremy Charles here in about five minutes. Um, so I'll let him tell you all about, you know, the making of and, and all about the film. But I'm going to kind of just kind of guide you through at least the first scene. And then I want you to, to again, go, go hit that link and, and download the movie. But this film opens with like this tracking shot of a young native woman and she's um, running full speed through a dense forest and she's clad in like this, you know, her full traditional clothing as she's like stumbling and tripping and you can just tell she's like completely scared out of her wits, but, you know, yet still pressing. I mean, there, there is this look of absolute terror on her face. Um, but then you cross cut to like this uh, another native woman and she's sort of running through what appears to be like this dilapidated old chicken shack or, or ranch or farmhouse or whatever. Um, but this woman is dressed in like um, all black. It's like a black leather motorcycle jacket. She's got like black jeans on. She's got um, looks like a, like a shoulder pad, but it's like half a one. But it's black. Her, her boot, her leather boots are black. It's just all black. But she has like this incredible shock of, of like red paint streaked across her face and just the the just just you know like the juxtaposition. Can't talk today. The juxtaposition. The juxtaposition of color is really just outstanding here. I mean, the, the screen is, is like thundering with this succession of like these deep guttural organic tones. And then like, boom, um, they, they pull in tight and the red uh, on her face just it pulls the viewer, uh, you know, right to her like this terrified, uh, unwavering face. And, you know, just the look on her face, it's, it's a testament to um, Native women's resilience. And, and I just love that shot. 
But um, we quickly cut back to like the traditional woman and she's tripped and fallen and she's like frantically looking all around and um, and then she's like leans forward to get up and, and then we cut to the future woman's arms um, like pushing off the concrete. Um, so it's kind of like hard to explain because she's like it's the, it's at one scene like it's the, the traditional woman on the ground and then she pushes up and as she's coming up it cuts quickly to the, the future the future postal law post-apocalyptic girl but um it's it's just so seamlessly cut together um and just ties these two women together beautifully um and again i, I gotta stay, talk about the editing because it's just magnificent um because it's like i said it's just you have two stories going on and it just cuts back and forth but it's so clear to the viewer what's going on so as the traditional woman, um, you know, begins to stand, she, she sort of falls forward again. And then we cut to the future woman falling to her back. And she's like quickly pushing herself backwards, scurrying away from, you know, just whatever's tracking her because uh, we don't know at this point. Um, but the way the scene is cut, uh, again, is so smooth. The camera is jerky, but, it, you know, it's supposed to be because uh, it sort of gives the the audience you know that sense of confusion and, and uneasiness and, and maybe panic and even maybe a little uh, anxiousness but we um you know obviously again we have like two parallel stories being played out in two different time periods but still linked together and again it's, it's such a huge endeavor to, to try to do that in like 20 seconds but um they, they have done it uh, wonderfully so we watch the future woman and um she has her black and red highlighted hair is, is pulled back, you know, out of her face. She's got that red face paint on. Um, it looks sort of like a, it looks kind of like a, a bird wing, like a red bird wing around her eye. And she's like scurrying backwards in like this crab walk. And her face is frozen in fear as she's looking up toward her pursuer. And then we cut to the traditional woman and her hair is sort of mussed up and it's down and she's got like this fur tippet draped across her shoulder. Um, but she has that exact same look of fear. And, and both women, again, are played by Natalie Standing Cloud. But um, we see this 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 figure sort of step slightly into to both frames. You see a figure step into the traditional um, woman's um, world. And then you also see the, the same like figure from behind um, step into the frame uh, of the future woman's um, world as well but it's it's really unclear we just we see it kind of step into frame real quick because um, then we cut to the future woman and she stands up and then we cut to the traditional woman and she also stands up and you can kind of tell in both instances like that fight or flight instinct is kicking in so future woman like she she pulls out a knife and she holds it out um, traditional woman she, she pulls a, a, a bone blade out um, future woman like clenches her jaw and let, lets out this you know this uh, cry um, this scream almost um, but like an, you know like let's let's go to and scream you know and then advances towards um, her attacker um, and again you know trying to explain it's difficult because again it's cutting back and forth between the two women um, but the whole scene again is just flawlessly cut um, the traditional woman like lunges forward and she sort of has that same battle cry and then we fade to black so if that isn't some of the best 42 seconds I've seen then somebody out there needs to point to me um, 42 more because um, as you will be as well uh, you're completely sucked in and intrigued by this point um, by Crom. this is such an intoxicating um, introduction 
But I'm going to stop the breakdown there because, again, I implore you to go to our Instagram page, Skoden underscore cinema. Um, you can also go to the Facebook page. Click that link and watch the rest of the movie. It is nine of the most intense and fantastic minutes that you will see in this day. Do it, Japan. Do it, Hokti. I seriously, I'm, I'm going to wait. I'll wait on you. Hey, was I wrong? Yeah, see? Not wrong, was I? Yep, you're welcome. You are, you're very welcome. So now your next job is to go and tell everyone that you know what you just saw. Uh, share it. Seriously, share it. Spread the word about this movie because it's awesome and it deserves it. Um, and, and if you think the movie is awesome, I'm telling you now, the man behind it is just as amazing. Because I did, I had the opportunity to sit down with Mr. Jeremy Charles, the director, for a discussion about this truly remarkable film. Enjoy. Ajayabas, welcome to our premiere episode of Skoden Cinema Conversations. My premiere guest uh, to the show is none other than Mr. Jeremy Charles, and I'm honored to sit down with him today and, and just talk and chat about his amazing film, Tochu, uh, which if you haven't seen, uh, I highly encourage you to go check it out. Uh, Mr. Charles is an award-winning writer, uh, producer, director. He's a cinematographer of both documentary and narrative films. Uh, after beginning a career in photography, Mr. Charles decided to transition into film, and he founded Fire Thief Productions, which uh, is a native-owned film production company based right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, aka our Muskogee Reservation in Indian Territory. So welcome to the show, Mr. Jeremy Charles. Mado, mado for being here. Uh, so nice to meet you, Tyler. Um, yeah. <laughs> OCO and uh thanks for having me I'm really it's really cool to be your inaugural guest <laughs> well I, I I first met you um via email um with uh Sundance with uh Charles Foxen and Circle Cinema yeah and um that's how I, I came across your film the first time and unfortunately I wasn't able to take part in that I just had a lot of family issues going on which I've discussed on the show um, but this movie, I cannot get over it. It's a work of art. <laughs> so um, before we get into that, though, um, I just wanted you maybe to kind of tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, your background, kind of where you're from and how did you get into film? Yeah, uh, so I'm from the little town of Ulaga, Oklahoma, uh, born and raised in the ranch lands. And uh, Ulaga is kind of famous for being the hometown of Will Rogers and uh, a famous cinema great, you know, the first major, major movie star, basically, you know, in a lot of ways. Um, and yeah, I just I've always kind of been a, an artist of sorts and putzed around with a lot of different mediums. And uh, I was a writer. I kind of fancied myself a writer for the longest time and I, I did it. art and Oh man, I could go on. What else do you want to know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that you started out as a photographer. So can you kind of tell us a little bit about how you sort of got into that? Yeah, well, um, I actually, I got a psychology degree at Oklahoma State um, and didn't know what the hell I wanted to do with my life. 
and <laughs> uh, I just knew I needed to graduate, right? But um, right. I kind of stumbled into graphic design. Actually, it was kind of not to date myself here, but it was the dawn of the internet, and uh, I was like so interested in uh, this medium, this new medium. I actually started a literary magazine. That was my first website I ever started. Uh, where I collected poems from my friends and posted them online every day. Um, and so I got into building websites and then it became a visual medium and I got a break to be a graphic designer. Um, but really everything revolves around music for me. And so you can kind of circle back everywhere. Um, I like to say that I'm an aspiring musician, but not good enough to actually be one uh, be, you know a lot of my friends are mind-blowingly amazing musicians and I always you know wished I had their skill but um it's kind of a funny little way um I could really draw a straight line from where I'm at now to my love of music um back in the day when I was a kid I just worshipped uh music magazines followed bands still I'm a huge music nerd uh, but, you know, the image that was on magazine covers, album art, um, things like that uh, were super duper influential to me. Um, kind of the, the image of music kind of put its hooks into me. And so when I started uh, as a designer, I learned all these skills and um, I don't know what possessed me, but I was uh, really intrigued by photography and uh, just as um, I, I saw these beautiful photos and I was always like, it was so mysterious to me. How, how did these um, amazing photographers create this imagery? Like it just like, I don't see that with my eyes, you know I mean? How does that even happen? Um, and there was one photographer out there named Kelly Kerr. He was a, he is still doing amazing work, but he was at the time Tulsa world photographer. And he did these really awesome images of bands and I was he's kind of did it like you know the best he was one of the best there is still is and um I don't know what but since I wasn't the greatest musician in the world I thought hey um pretty early on in the photography career I was like hey I I think I know how to help my friends you maybe I can't play with them but I think <laughs> there's this need in the Tulsa music scene for bands to you know, have marketing basically, you know, be able to present, represent their images. And so I kind of hung my hat on that. Um, and um, that's kind of still in my DNA. That's, that's kind of where I started. And, and uh, that's kind of everything kind of circles back to music in a lot of ways. Um, and I can connect all those dots for you, but I mean, that's probably enough. That is awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm a big music fan as well. Um, can you let, let us know some of the bands or musicians that you've worked with uh, locally? Wow. Um, dozens and dozens, especially in the early to mid 2000s. I was really active doing, um, well, um, I mean, all of them, everyone that you know, <laughs> in the music scene, pretty much all of the, uh, the, the names that have made the Tulsa music scene who they are, I've photographed them, you know, like all yeah. the Paul Benjamins, the Jesse Acox, um, the whole crew, all, you know, uh, Broncho, uh, there's a little uh, awesome band called Calypsi back in the day, Congress of a Crow are good friends of mine, Sam the Stylies, um, uh, you know, 
I was good friends with Malin Darris at Rewake. I was just in the scene and found a purpose in doing that and bringing their, those images to life. I can go on and on, but I've also, one important thing to note is too, is that um, I have really was into live music photography and I uh, used to be the house photographer at Canes for a stretch for a long time. And I also was a photographer at BOK Center. So um, just shows and shows and bands and bands, yeah. That is awesome. I can't tell you how many bands I've seen play at Canes. I've, I've been going to Canes since I was a kid. And I mean, I've seen everybody from the Misfits to, I mean, big punk rock guys, so no effects. And I mean, I'm trying to think right off the top of my head. The Descendants have played there. Oh, and, yes. I mean, just, <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable the bands that have come through there, you know, even before my time, like Metallica played there, you know, like, well, Sex Pistols, all is that legendary show there. And yep. so, yeah, it's incredible history, that place. So, yeah. uh, do you feel kind of like the ex your experience though as photographer kind of lent itself to that transition to film? Because I've always heard, you know, like cinema is just basically photography at 24 frames a second. Absolutely. I mean, um, so to kind of give you a little context there, I, I was doing a lot of music photography, but I also, you know, as a, with a background in graphic design or as an art director, um, I worked with photography all the time. And so it was kind of cool. I, uh, and I knew all the best photographers in, in the region at the time, because I used, you know, we, we used their photography and I just kept up with them. And I knew there was a certain level of badassery, basically, where a photographer, like I knew the taste level, right? And so mm -hmm. I kind of made a goal that I'm going to build up my confidence and proficiency to get to a level where I can be uh, at that level. And so a step-by-step, I just uh, got better and better and better and, and then uh, really got into commercial photography and had a good 10 year long run. Uh, I still photograph bands the whole time. And, uh, but I was also making a living cause you, it's hard to make money shooting bands. <laughs> Didn't ever expect to. Right. Uh, and so when I was kind of at the height of my career at the time and I kind of was at a transition point and the film filmmaking called my name and I, I knew it was either either you go and you go for the big fish in LA or New York and you get an agent and you try to go after those big national photography gigs or uh, go to filmmaking and the biggest thing for me that was decisive was that I've been doing work with uh, Cherokee Nation and other and indigenous peoples uh, throughout my photography career, and specifically the Cherokee Nation, um, done lots of work for them at the time. And I knew, um, I just knew there was a place for me um, in the film, in the filmmaking world. Uh, I just knew that um, native representation was really important at the time. It was kind of, you know, the very dawn of what we're seeing right now. Uh, Right now we're at this place where so many awesome things are happening, but back then it was like this um, kind of open-ended place where you could really do something for the people. You could really make a mark as a filmmaker as in the indigenous realm. And I just felt strongly called to just dive in head first. And granted, I made a couple of music videos, but I really, I didn't, 
kind of characteristic of me. I really, um, I just went in without fully knowing. I mean, I didn't go to school for it. I certainly didn't, you know, anything like that. I was like, hey, I'm going to do filmmaking now. Let's do film. <laughs> and just, you know, shoehorned it like I always do. And, and tried to, you know, I just knew that there was a place and I, I wanted to make a difference. And so that's what drew me into filmmaking initially. That's awesome. What is Toju like your first like foray into filmmaking? Uh, well, we have been, we started Fire Thief in 2014. And right off the bat, we were so lucky to be, uh, to create a show, a TV show called OCO, Voices of the Cherokee People. It's a, it's a, it's a documentary series that we make for the Cherokee nation basically and it's um it consists of short documentaries and so we do uh 40 of those just for that client every year so literally day one almost day one of starting and deciding to do film we immediately started making films and so if you think about 40 a year we're on season seven so we've made uh not counting the other clients we work for or counting them over 300 short films and so just hit the ground running and that is unbelievable uh about three years ago uh ish i just knew that it was time for me to kind of get back to my roots as a writer and so i've been sort of uh, uh there's a lot in, that entails with that of course but tochu is really my first narrative film and it's a short film um, and, but I already, I have several others, um, um, that is ready to go. I'm going to make another one this year, but I also have written movie scripts, uh, TV series, and I've got probably five or six type of projects that are in various stages of, of development, trying to, to crack in there. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess my next question is if we can go ahead and start talking a little bit about Toju, um, yeah. where, where did the idea come from? I mean, because, um, there's a lot of like influences that I see that maybe were subconscious or deliberate. I mean, yeah. I see like a uh, lot of Richard Matheson in that, or um, even Twilight Zone. I see in that. I'm a huge Twilight Zone nerd, so I I'll, I always look for references like that, even though they may not be there. But like Omega Man and and films like that. Like where where did the idea for this film come from? Well, you know. I, I've, I've been asked that before, and I really, I think the way my brain works is ideas are just collected, you know, and I'm like, what if there was an indigenous woman in parallel universes of prehistory or like basically first European contact and a dystopian future? And if they, what if that woman was basically facing the same uh, challenges, you know, um, I guess, I don't know, I guess we can talk, we can give the film away. It's not that big of a deal. Um, <laughs> same, uh, basically it's history repeating itself. Right. And I right. thought it'd be a really cool device to, to show this woman, uh, experiencing the same, uh, I wouldn't say trauma maybe in parallel universes, the same woman in two different dimensions, basically. And that was really just the seed of it right away. And I wrote it in like, two hours and it stayed the same way all the way through shooting. Jeez. So it's just stacking what's happens in the future, what happens in the past and how are they in, in parallel, you know? Right. 
Yeah, I, I was actually going to try to, I'm not going to do like a whole rundown because I actually want people to see this film, <laughs> yeah. but even just like trying to like come up with a synopsis or like a breakdown for the film, uh, it proved to me kind of challenging because from the first time I saw it, I really feel this is a film you need to like experience. <laughs> like my talking about it, even us talking about it, like words, dialogue, it just can't really capture the magic the what you have up there on that screen mm -hmm. i mean it's just like i said it, there's just so many types of influences that i see in that film and uh there's so much about it that works so um i want to talk maybe a little bit about the cast um, yeah. how are you able to round up such an amazing group of people yeah well i mean day one the moment that i wrote it i knew that i wanted natalie standing cloud to be the lead she was just in my mind and Natalie is a friend um, and we had worked together, you know, over the years. And I knew that she uh, was an actor and that she really, um, she, she, I, she was Tochu from the beginning. So I wrote it, I physically wrote it for her and I wrote it to specific places. Um, and then one of the, one of the interesting things is obviously, and then we can probably get into this later, but there's obviously an MMIW type of uh, undertone there. And the entire film is very understated. There's very little dialogue, but what dialogue there is, is in Cherokee. And that's a huge priority to me. Um, the, and I'll go into that later as well. But um, the other thing that I wanted to do was um, incorporate, have this idea of like in the future, what if white people spoke Cherokee? And what if that Cherokee was the language of the rebellion? You know what I mean? What if it was the language of choice for the rebellion? And so I, my two actors, one of them is my wife, Jen Lauren, <laughs> and then Scott. Shout out. <laughs> Scott, yeah, Scott Taylor, um, um, you know, they're, they're white passing. Of course, Jen is a Cherokee and she's actually does it a lot for the tribe does you know the film office and we do the oco tv together and all that mm -hmm. so but i thought what you know it was very intentional to have that that device basically and um and then of course mark uh ward um who is do you know who he is he's i well i know him just from this film i mean that, i was going to actually ask you about just the the design of that well, I guess yeah. you got to give it some of that. To, is it Tate Stein Steinsick? Oh, yeah. Um, just the look of that. Okay. Again, don't want to give a, a too much away, but yeah. just the look of that cyborg is pure horror. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know if it's just his betrayal or or the design of the of, of him, but he just comes across so like mechanically like cold and lifeless and just pure evil, yeah. and it's so unexpected. I just <laughs> again, I was just like. Oh, I couldn't keep my mouth open. I, I was, couldn't keep it closed. My jaw was on the floor. So, but yeah, you can tell us about him because he is amazing. Yeah. So what's interesting is initially I had envisioned on like doing the finale in CGI. And, and then I was like going around getting quotes from people and it was like, I can't afford that. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so, uh, you know, and uh, friends of ours, uh, introduced me to Tate Steinsick, who is, uh, we have the good fortune of having this this creator. He's a director, but he's also a special effects, uh, amazing special effects artist. He is here in town, here in Tulsa. He works here in Tulsa, but he does movies all around the world. 
Um, basically, with Mark Ward, Mark has just a face and he's a just a natural actor. He's got that chiseled jawline and he I've known him for many years and he's just I just knew he was the right guy. It was immediately, of course, just same as same as Natalie. But Tate, um, Tate made made everything. I mean, he made this film the way, you know, as good as it is, because he he uh, he and I collaborated on the look, you know, and there's a there's a little bit of a vibe of Terminator, you know what I mean? And mm -hmm. but, you know, what was really cool is that he like he took it to the next level. He he actually made um, veins of LED lights that glowed in the dark or pulsing through the cyborg um, and like. And made a the suit had a light in it that glowed and um he's just amazing he's just it looks so fantastic <laughs> <laughs> yeah well really look, look on the, on the... Point, no, i feel really fortunate that i that we didn't go with cgi cgi you know what i'm saying because it was just far better this way yeah for sure i guess uh, a little bit about like even the sound design of the film um you kind of touched on it earlier but like was it this conscious decision to keep it mostly kind of like atmospheric because it totally works. And then you already yeah. kind of talked about the Cherokee language. And I, I agree. I can't express how much I appreciate the fact that the, all the dialogue by all the characters, white or native, all spoke Cherokee. And like you said, even in the future post-apocalyptic uh, post type world, um, I just, that is unbelievable. It's such a great thing to see that uh, played out on screen. Yeah, well, I think uh, it's a kind of a theme of resilience. You know, it's resilience of women. It's resilience of the language and culture that I really wanted to make a statement about. But, you know, I think it's really trying to be understated about all those sort of themes. Um, but what was your question again? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you, you pretty much already answered. It was just talking about like the conscious decision. Was it just a conscious decision to keep it more like atmospheric? And yes. there's only like what there's not very much dialogue in it at all. So right. I mean, it's all told through, you know, uh, visually. And I just love that. And again, well, it's, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say uh, that's credit to uh, Ryan Weaver, who mixed it. He did all the Foley. He did all the, the sound mixing, but also Mark Kirkendall, who is a local composer. I specifically wanted to work with Mark because Mark has a um, aesthetic that is kind of uh, abstract and found, found. So some of the sounds you're going to hear in there are actually Mark in the woods hooking up microphones that and taking vibrations off of trees and stuff like that's literally what like where how he created some of those sounds yeah and then um and then um lindsey kirkendall did some strings on top of it but um and then i have to also credit ty clark who edited the film he actually did the first score of it which ended up some of it actually stayed he did a temp score and it, a lot of that actually kind of dictated the final score yeah that is amazing um i was actually going to actually actually ask you about ty clark because your editor the way this thing is edited just with the dual storylines like there's no explanation needed because the audience you know myself anybody that has seen it just immediately understands like what is going you know what's happening um was that process for him was it kind of tricky to kind of get all those shots lined out or yeah. well luckily we we shot it very we shot this thing in two days um, and well, we, everything was planned out. 
And so he and I were talking like, you know, we have enough footage to like try something different, but I was like, no, let's just do it as it's written, which is easier than it seems, honestly. Um, I mean, it sounds easier than it was uh, because um, he spent so much time doing visual effects and then tone and pacing like like we make films all the time we're like we're, we're making films constantly but he put so much love and care into every little detail he was so passionate about every detail um, um every every moment of pacing every he did all the visual effects kind of the cyborg viewpoints and we did these wipes that are kind of like star wars wipes where like you take you, you dolly past the foreground element and then it switches to the next dimension and the, the follow through of the shot, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I just give him a huge kudos. Well, it's edited together perfectly. <laughs> so, I mean, it does, and not only does this have like this sort of pseudo Western, you know, combined with like these all these sci-fi elements, but you just managed to pull all of this off with this, this grace and elegance of almost like an art house film. And uh, you have such an amazing eye. And I mean, the shots of uh, Natalie kind of walking through that tall grass are just spectacular. Um, what were your favorite, some of your favorite scenes to shoot on this film? That, you know, that's really fun because I, um, I, I wrote it and I was in this place in Spring Creek near Tahlequah and our friends land and literally everything in that dimension happened on in that piece of land. And, um, and I scoured, I was on a motorcycle ride, I think one day and I went past this, this junkyard and we pulled out all the stops we could get to get access to that place. So it was written for that place and it was all, but um, I think the, the field that we walked through um it was it was cold it was like it was february when we shot this and the grass is dead and it's tall and uh, that was the moment where um i feel really i was really like um because that's the moment where you start realizing something's wrong and um like she's being stalked is when you that's when you find out um so that was really uh, a beautiful scene but also I, i'm really proud of the kind of, uh, well, I have to say Charles Elmore, director of photography on this and uh, Kyle Bell is a cinematographer um, or the, the camera operator, um, totally took the vision. And, and um, so the running scene through the woods was really hard. Like Charles and Kyle were like running through the woods and chasing her. The chase scene, I feel really proud of because um, um, just the swapping between the two dimensions while running was really, created that tension that uh, that really works and it's all to their credit and then she pops out of the woods and falls down you know on onto a pad safely and, uh, <laughs> but they caught it they caught all those moments so perfectly yeah i just i cannot i can't brag on this film enough um so can you kind of talk a little bit maybe about the reaction that the film has received uh, from both either the native community and, and the non-native audiences yeah and so it's a, a little bit, I, I feel bad because most people haven't got to see it yet. We had a screening last year. At this time last year, we screened it at the Cherokee Nation Holiday Drive-In Movie Night. That was the only public screening we've had. Otherwise, it, I put it into the film circuit. And I have been honestly blown away by the reaction. I had no idea that people were going to like it this much. Um, the very first um, 
big award. Uh, well, we got into Portland was a, was the premier Portland Film Festival, which is good. But the LA Skins Festival, out of, totally shocked me by being chosen the uh, it was achievement in film, the big award of the entire festival. This film got, and I was like, I literally did not believe them, and I misread the email, and I was like, okay, cool. And they're like, hey, you need to record a, a, a message because you won an award. I was like. Are you sure? Are you, do you have the right guy? <laughs> do you have the right film? <laughs> so that set it off, and I, um, it's been amazing. Um, the the other really huge um, accomplishment that totally blew me away was that we won the Dead Center um, best uh, best short and in best Indigenous short, and I was totally shocked by those as well. I mean, that's a huge. I'm just. I'm so excited that people got it because I was a little worried that people, it's kind of abstract and I was worried that the message wouldn't come across, but it did. And it was like such a relief that, that people are getting it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think um, that's what one of the, you know, missing elements in, 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 you know, even the current wave of native American uh, cinema or, or television or, or just media is that strong female, you know, protagonist and, mm -hmm with Natalie I mean she, I don't think you could have picked a better person in, in that role <laughs> yeah so she, I was just was kind of yeah. <laughs> yeah well I just thought maybe you could speak a little bit on that I mean because like I said that that's obviously a a, a theme in the film is yeah. you know um strength of women and I just absolutely love that idea so I just kind of maybe want to speak on that a little bit yeah I would say um I have uh, I grew up with strong women, you know, um, and I know um, what challenges women. Uh, I've experienced firsthand some hard times that specifically the women in my life have had to face, and they are the strongest people I know. They are, they've uh, been able, they're able to overcome things that I could never overcome. And so that's just something that's always in the back of my mind. I also have four daughters, and um and a strong strong wife you know, like that i'm strong women are a theme in my life and i and i have the utmost respect for them and um and for me um i think it's really important to you know show the reverence for women in in you know indigenous life and also um the just general badassery of women i think that um it's to me, it's, it was just, I mean, it's, I don't think it was necessarily intentional. Like I wanted this um, to be female, um, a statement on, on, on women necessarily overtly, but I think it's just in my, in my veins, you know, like um, that respect. And um, I've known, you know, I know a lot of women who've gone through really, really hard things at the hands of men. And in this process of colonialism that, you know, our women, you know, all of our native women were the centers of society until these colonial forces came along and stripped them of their status and, and um, really turned the world upside down in our societies, our native societies. And I, I wanted people to know that, um, that women are still just as strong and that they are, they can endure a lot more than, than the men can and that their women are indomitable. Native women are indomitable and they've never, they've, they've always been indomitable and they're gonna be indomitable in the future. And 
and you know I think we see that and as native people we see that and I think the greater the white society or the you know the western society doesn't get to see that side of native women you know they don't understand yeah yeah I totally agree um just you know like I said even coming back just to, to the very closing of the film um again not to try to give anything away but just that final line I mean if you are not coming out of your seat and just ready to just rip somebody a new one like that is such a badass just yeah it is the best thing I have seen <laughs> in many years I just I, just, I appreciate that. again I just smile from ear to ear because it's such an amazing just golly it's so good it's so good Thank so I, I'm sure you've been asked this before, but um, are there any plans? Were there any kind of plans possibly to ever turn this into a, to a, a feature? You know, that's funny. Um, um, some folks at a podcast, now I can't remember the name of after LA Skins Fest, they did podcasts reviewing some films and they were like, somebody make this into a feature. And I was like, oh shit, that actually is a good idea. <laughs> Like, you know, because it is a cliffhanger on purpose, you know, how short films that they function best when they leave something to be questioned at the end, you know, and I think there's an entire backstory there. And oh, absolutely. I would love to explore that. If only would someone would give me money. <laughs> <laughs> That's the magic word, isn't it? <laughs> but, uh, I think, you know, I think at some point I would love to revisit this in, um, you know, when I'm in a different place in my career where I have a little bit more sway and then I'll, that'll hopefully come, you know, one day soon. And I think there's a place for it. Yeah, I think I, I like that idea. I'd love to to flesh it out into something longer form. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, to me, it, it reminded me of uh, something like a, a Mad Max uh, Fury mm -hmm. Road, um, just like with Furiosa. And I see Furiosa told you just side by side, you yeah. know, just driving across the, you know, post yeah. this post-apocalyptic world, you know, just kicking, you know, kicking ass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that is awesome. Well, uh, what future projects do we have to look forward to? Oh my goodness. Um, well, right now, like I said, I'm going to shoot a new short film um, and it's a totally different thing. You know, what's interesting about Tochu is it's really not necessarily my strength. Um, to me, this was sort of a concept piece. Um, I kind of gravitate to more dialogue and drama and, and honestly, real world stuff, like not necessarily huge sci-fi uh, aficionado. Um, and so this next film is going to be very actor driven and very, everything's going to hinge on the performance of the, of the dialogue and, and the acting. Um, and uh, but beyond that, we have so many docs to shoot we've got and i have a couple of tv shows i'm going to be pitching out in hollywood and a feature to use as you know that i'm polishing again a second time um all of these are, are native themed um that's kind of you know where i've started and that's where i'll stay and um i mean well i don't know how much you want to hear about those but um maybe wait till we actually, they come to life. And, but there, uh, there's an insane amount of, of opportunity right now that, um, that a lot of interesting things are happening. I'll just say that um, I got to be a part of the Native American Media Alliance writers, TV writers lab last, uh, earlier this year, which was amazing, an amazing organization. 
um, and I got to meet some amazing writers there who have made me a much better writer. And they're also friends now, and we actually stay in touch and we keep a writers group. Um, and um, yeah, I think my goal is to uh, write and direct my own stuff, um, and hopefully, you know, show run some TV shows and direct some movies. And you know, of course, I'm I am a cinematographer is my kind of my what I've always have been good at, but I really want to kind of focus on writing, directing uh, stuff. Yeah, it's really exciting times. I mean, I've kind of started labeling it like, uh, uh, you know, before Rutherford Falls, Res Dogs. Yeah. And then after, was it like 80 or uh, <laughs> BC or, you know, B BC Res or whatever. But yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, like, yeah. So many exciting opportunities. And I look forward to anything that you, um, you know, get your hands on because, I, I I know you'll spit it into gold. I mean, just Thank based on, on everything that I've read and everything I've seen by you. Um, I know that there is good fortune out there for you. And so yeah. I wish you all the best luck. So I, I know you also mentioned, um, if you can talk about it, uh, a project with Horton Records. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, man. So like one of my biggest inspirations and missions in the last few years is really to uh help in using my talents in in preserving and uh rejuvenating the Cherokee language um, um a lot of my friends in the Cherokee language department you know they're they're spending their entire lives uh in this effort to you know make Cherokee uh growing a growing language again right now it's shrinking right but they're doing everything they can and I thought well how could I possibly help you know, I, I'm not a speaker. I, I you know, I, I do my best, but I'm definitely never going to be a fluent speaker. I mean, maybe. Um, but how can I use my talents to do that? So there's several things that have been going on there. Um, for for example, um, you know, Tochu is an example. I wanted to create Tochu as an example to other um, native writers and directors. Like, hey, you can make modern films in your language in you know what i mean uh, you, i wanted to show them like and this to me is just i want to mentor other filmmakers to make films in the language uh we also myself and roy boney jr an amazing artist uh cherokee artist uh created an animated series called ina gay um that we have actually produced three fully finished uh episodes of and i'm really proud of that um it's not available to the public yet um, because we've been trying to shop it to different networks and stuff, but it's 100% in Cherokee, 100% accurate to the culture, 100% fluent speakers, um, and I'm really, really proud of that project, and that's kind of an example, and uh, I was talking with my friend Howard Payton, he's the director of the language program, and he's like, showed me, he showed me uh, this music video of a Maori singer, and uh, a music video and he's like we need this um i don't know if you know much about the maoris of new zealand mm -mm. Uh, they are the gold standard of language preservation for indigenous peoples they have an entire movie industry tv industry they have an entire music scene in the language and that's to me i knew like my passion for music and my passion for making film is like 
we myself and many other like-minded people are like this is what we have to have this is going to make a huge difference in language preservation um, start creating media in the language and and so he came to me and showed me this video and i was like yes um he's like we need to make a, a song like this and i was like yes we do and then i was like we need to make an entire album we're gonna make you know and it's all and so one interesting thing is there's really no very little I'll say very little contemporary music in the Cherokee language. We know we have our gospel, same thing, same thing with the Muscogee Creeks, right? You guys have yes. a lot of gospel, right? Uh, but there's very, very little uh, modern music. Um, and, uh, and so what I came up with the idea is like, I know all these musicians, all these citizens. So what we're gonna do is we're going to make a compilation album, all original music, all contemporary genres, all in the purest form of Cherokee language that's possible. And so we have all 12 of our artists locked in and we have all of our translators. So the idea is to pair a translator, a fluent speaker with the artist where they translate a song that's written in English into Cherokee, which is not an easy task. Um, and then uh, record, the vocals in Cherokee with the speaker there and along all along the way, making sure it's the purest form it could possibly be. Um, and we have actually started that process. We have, um, there are about five songs that are in production right now. We've got rap, we've got heavy metal, we've got country, Americana, folk, we've got um, pop music, all that are all be in the Cherokee language. And, um, and then the idea was I went to Brian Horton. I said, I have this idea, Brian, at Horton Records and Julie, uh, Julie Wagner Watson is like, guys, um, what do you think about this idea? And they're like, okay. And they're like, hey, there's this grant. I think this is a great idea. We should go up this grant. And so we wrote a grant application for the Zero Centennial Fund. And we were like, so surprised and grateful that we were awarded. Uh, uh, the amount needed to produce the entire album. That is so awesome. Uh, and so um, he's uh, they he is with his wisdom and music distribution and you know and artists and all a lot of the artists that are on this album are actually uh, Horton Records artists or Horton Records adjacent artists, right? So um, we are we are going forward with that man, and it's uh, we're going to start. And so the other thing is we were trying to raise a little bit more money because I want to make music videos for every single song. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we're going to and lyric videos and just regular music videos and start rolling them out because um, to me, this is monumental. It's a it's a it's about inspiring young artists. It's about inspiring uh, modern Cherokee people into thinking like, hey, we are modern people and this is what we've been doing our my whole filmmaking career is like we are modern people we're going to define ourselves we're going to tell you what being native is what being cherokee is instead of letting hollywood or you know academics or historians tell us who we are which has been prevalent until up until recently right so we're going to tell you this is a cherokee song this is because the cherokee did it and it's in the language in a purest form of the language possible. So I'm super duper pumped and I hope it inspires young artists to start creating music in the language, contemporary music in the language.
Oh man, you got me fired up about it. Just talk, yeah. just hearing you talk about it. That is, that is like groundbreaking. Yeah. I'm like, so freaking pumped. <laughs> yeah. That is amazing. Is there any kind of link or anything you can shout out to people who want to donate or uh, that, to help not, the cause? Not yet. That's a great, we've been considering crowdfunding. Um, I'm trying to, I'm actually going after private donors right now just to see um, if we can get there that way. I hate, I always hate like asking people for money. I'm like, <laughs> it's like, um, you know, I'd rather just do it myself. But I think this is a project where people would really want to help out and be a part of helping in, you know, I, I like that idea. Yeah, I think just getting it out on the show, people will be interested as well. We know, I know we have a lot of Cherokee listeners um, here in the area and, you know, all over this great land of ours. Um, I'm mm. kind of shocked that how large the listening audience is. So if there's anybody out there that would like to to learn more about this, um, yeah. is there a way to contact you? Yeah, I mean, you can hit me at jeremy.charles at Gmail, but um, we will be having a press event. And so we'll have a media event where we'll announce all the artists and all the speakers and translators who are involved and um and really i think we'll probably have a plan at that point so kind of keep your ear to the ground about that uh news about that okay well we definitely will and i'll keep everybody updated as well on the show um one last thing i guess before we close her out is um where can people see your your work yeah um well tochu is not yet out there but i think uh, i've been talking to charles foxen at circle uh he does want to screen it and and uh, i would hope uh i think because it's still going on its festival run i think we can go ahead and and offer a, a probably put together a program of shorts where uh tochu and some other shorts we can put together a native shorts program here in the future um and then you know if you go to firethiefpro.com that's kind of our website and Vimeo, Vimeo.com slash Fire Thief. You can see some of our work. Um, and then you can also go to OCO.TV, O-S-I-Y-O.TV to see the hundreds of short documentaries we've made over the past uh, six seasons. Now we're in seventh season and uh, about halfway through filming and, and preparing that. I was going to say, it sounds like I have a lot of catching up to do because I did not realize <laughs> there are that many seasons of that, that show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we are cranking. It's, it's, the, it's the honor of a lifetime to be able to do this. It's really, it's been amazing. I know. I absolutely love that you, 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 you are who you are in, in doing what you do and you feel a certain responsibility and, mm-hmm. and you're using that, you know, to further the, further the cause and, and, and help our people. And I uh, just, I cannot say enough good things about you. I cannot say enough good things about your work. Um, I am your biggest fan. <laughs> if you have not heard that before, <laughs> maybe not as big down, as your man. little girls. But. <laughs> I won't let you down. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, now that we got all this stuff time. out of the way. Yeah, we got all the business stuff out of the way. Um, I thought maybe we could kind of have a little bit of fun um, in an effort to try to reclaim um, the ridiculous sixth, you know, the terrible Adam Sandler movie. I'm going to I'm going to start this (laughs) this thing. and You're going to be the first contestant. Uh, I'm I'm calling this the uh, Skoden Studis Ridiculous Six. It is a series of just random questions about film. They're just all opinions. Um, mostly, uh, lighthearted, um, some ridiculous, <laughs> yeah. um, but, but always fun. Are, are you game for playing the ridiculous six? Yeah. Lay it on me, man. I think. Okay. Well, I these I are just, a, 
a, a series of random questions that I've come up with. And so the, the first one is um, name a movie that you have never seen on the big screen, but would like to. Oh man. Uh, I think, I think it's a, uh, sorry, there's a dog barking. Excuse no, me. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think that it's apocalypse now. Um, uh, I've never got to see that on the big screen. Uh, I had a really important mentor as a middle schooler, a film teacher, and uh, who really put a spark in me early on in filmmaking as a, as a I think I was in seventh grade and uh, I was at Native American Preparatory School. And this uh, instructor, he uh, it was his favorite movie, Apocalypse Now, and I, I had never seen it you know, at the time. And I uh, it is a work of art, and I think I, I've never had the chance to see it on the big screen. That's awesome. I think uh, Hearts of Darkness is just an equally compelling film yeah, yeah. <laughs> as, as the, the yeah. making of. As uh, But yeah, Apocalypse Now, that's an excellent, excellent choice. Uh, number two, what is your uh, favorite Kevin Peter Hall performance? Is it uh, Harry and the Hendersons or Predator? Oh, man, I'm a diehard Predator fan. I grew up with the Predator. I mean... <laughs> I can't do the noise right now. I won't embarrass myself. I... <laughs> yeah, That's man. awesome. <laughs> For sure, Predator. Yeah. All right. Uh, Lou Diamond Phillips. Do we let him in or do we kick him out? <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, well, um, I have a, a complicated relationship with uh, Lou Diamond Phillips, but I think, you know, I, I liked him in Longmire. You know what I mean? And I, I think he should stay. I think he should stay. He's, still, he's on the island. <laughs> he, he's the bomb in Renegades, man. Have yeah. you ever seen Renegades? Oh, yes. Oh, man, he's the bomb in that one. He's and we all know S.A. Morales is, is all, definitely in, but I always got to get it up for, for my man, Lou Diamond. Uh, number four, your favorite movie soundtrack. Now, now remember, there, there's a difference between soundtrack and yeah. score. Oh, Golly, okay. I have to say, this is tough, but the first things that I'm going to debate between two different things, like it's either Oh Brother, that Where Art Thou, or Big Lebowski. Like those are two. Um, like those soundtracks are just like, and also Train Spotting. Okay, I got to choose one. I don't know. Um, uh, I've got to say Big Lebowski. I mean, yeah. That hope, Eagles cover. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, what is your dream collaboration for question five? Wow. That one, that one. Whoa. Uh, you know what? I mean, I would love to be a, on the fly on the wall on a PT Anderson film or like mm. uh, a brothers film or Quentin Tarantino film. Like, I don't know if I could be willing, you know, if they would let me collaborate with them but um <laughs> you know if that were even possible i would pick one of those folks to uh to collaborate with no oh, they would just run me over though <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i don't know uh and then the last question um question six is you know as far as native representation in media today uh what element do you feel is missing um or uh would you like to see more of this is a great question. This is basically a question I've, uh, in my career and the careers of my friends and uh, fellow native filmmakers, I think that we've been trying to answer is like, let us tell our own stories our way and let us tell you who we are in our words and from our eyes, in our voices 
And it is such an exciting time to see uh, what Sterling's done with, with reservation dogs. Um, I can't, it gives me chills to watch it because I know where he, he, where it came from. It came from his life. It came from the life of these amazing writers and uh, creators that were creating it with them. Um, so I feel like we're, that is the biggest thing. Like, let us tell our own stories. And now that's actually happening. Um, and it's beautiful thing to, uh, to witness. And I hope that that trend continues. All right. Thank you very much. Well, that's, that's about all the time I think I have today. Is there anything else you want to add or, or just sign off? <laughs> I'm like super uh, um, honored to be here with you, sir. Um, and I'm a fan of the podcast and you all uh, hit like and subscribe and to uh, and get your updates, get, hit the bell <laughs> to get, you know, make sure you get the updates for every new episode. Mado, Mado for that. Thank you so much, sir. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. All right. All right. Care. We'll talk to you later. Don't a dog a hoi.